Well, please do be seated. And uh, can I say, first of all, that it is always a privilege to be invited to speak at any of our churches that I hope I never take lightly. But it's a lovely privilege, a particularly special one, on a day like this when we celebrate the birth of the church as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that first day of Pentecost that we remember and we reflect on today. So I do thank you uh, most warmly for that. As we were praying, sort of the worship group and uh, a few other people, uh, before we started our service this morning, I got the idea from Caroline's prayer that um, she gets teased for using the word realigned or realignment. Is that right, Caroline? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's all right. Well, I want to say it's a great word. And those of you who tease her need to repent (laughs) right here and now. Um, Because in in so many ways, it encapsulates, uh, in a sense, what I think our response, well, an appropriate response to the, the one verse I really want to just share today. It's, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And uh, hands up if, if you've been a Christian a long while and, and you remember a day when it would not have been unusual to go to a church on a Sunday morning and the minister says, and my text for today is, and one text. Anyone old enough to remember that? I, I confess I'm not. But a few of you. A few of you, okay, okay. A few of you are really old, yeah. Well, I think it's probably more in terms of the style of church that we went to. When I became a Christian in 1975, uh, just before I was 17, uh, the church I went to did not have that kind of particular style or, or pattern of preaching. But uh, in sort of within 12 months of becoming a Christian, I, I was kind of quite hungry for working out what this thing that had happened to me meant and what it was all about. And I went to the Christian bookshop in our town in Kettering in Northamptonshire and uh, I I knew something about the Sermon on the Mount in, in the sense that I'd found where it was. And it seemed to be significant. Before uh, I became a Christian, I kind of was a bit of a fan of Martin Luther King. And he kind of referred to the Sermon on the Mount on on more than a few equations. So I thought, this is really important. And I saw that there was this, this book on the bookshelf there called the Sermon on the Mount. And it was in sort of cellophane. So you couldn't leaf through it and really work out what it was all about. And I used to pop into the shop quite regularly just to browse the books and chat to the owners in my lunch break uh, from work. And then I decided I would buy it. And basically it was a, it was a, it was a book of sermons, which when I realised that didn't thrill me tremendously. A book of sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And some of you are, right, okay, you know, well, he was renowned for preaching through passages of Scripture one verse at a time. And uh, this was his collection of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, I managed to get through uh, this book of sermons as an 18-year-old. And I would say, looking back, that the day I became a Christian and said to Jesus, Lord, here's my life, if you can make anything of it, here I am. That was the day that changed my life. But in a very real sense, I'm not exaggerating to say that this book and reading these sermons on the Sermon on the Mount began, was a significant step in transforming my life. 
Because I think the message of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is one of a number of Beatitudes, is such that it does, coming back to your prayer, Caroline, it does enable us or encourage us, usher us into that place where we realign our whole lives uh, with the priorities and the purposes of God. Um, so there we are. That's, that's the verse. That was the best image I could come up with. My only apology is that it's a, it's a plastic bottle. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very conscious of that. But there we are. But here we are. So I, I'm, I'm going to just want to share this. It just seemed to be such an appropriate verse. Um, when Mackie said, let me know what, what passage you're speaking on. And I've got a passage I'm going to read that puts in a bit of context. But I just sense that I really want this focus this morning uh, to be for each of us where we can just not just hear what Jesus is actually saying here but respond to it uh, it's it's very straightforward and you know it, it's there isn't it handed to us uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled uh, we all want to be blessed some translations Translate the word that we use here as happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We all want happiness. It just strikes me that whilst that's a common goal for people, for human beings generally everywhere, it just seems that it's such a tragedy that so many, I would just suggest the vast majority of the population of our nation, is seeking for it in the wrong place. And, and, of course, one of the things when you spend any time just reflecting on this and other of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, one of the obvious realizations when you sort of begin to look at them at all closely at all is that the, the blessedness, the happiness, the deep contentment and of, of knowing that state of mind is not something you can grasp or go for but it is actually a byproduct. And so many of the, the Beatitudes are like this one, where it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That's as I'll put up in a moment. That's kind of the means. But as a consequence of that, they will be filled. Um, it's not the other way round to so many people's approach to gaining satisfaction, contentment, happiness in life, where they decide, I'm going to go for that. And I'm going to seek happiness by finding a partner, by uh, reaching the top of my chosen career, by uh, putting myself and my family in, in the most sumptuous or best environment, materially speaking, that I can possibly imagine. You know, all you know, as, a, as a long list, isn't there? So the people, we're very hungry for many, many things. But this week as well, I think I came to this verse because uh, we just, my wife Maggie and I, we've started a new home group in the, I mean it's quite a novel thing to start a new home group in the little village church of which we're a part. Um, so we started a new home group, so uh, we've got six people apart from ourselves who are very delightfully committed and keen to be part of that group together. But when I was thinking, well what should we do, and ask them what do you want to look at and whatever, we're taking a beatitude a week really for the first sort of eight of our, our meetings really. So we've, we've looked at this recently. So it was kind of uppermost in my mind. So when Marky said, what are you going to speak on? I thought, well, this would be 
terrific, really, for this particular day. It's a week, though, isn't it, in which we've commemorated, uh, or there's a number of significant things happened in our own nation. Um, 75 years since the D-Day landings. And it seems and feels like war is always on the horizon uh, for every generation, those prior to and subsequent to 75 years ago. It's a week in which we've also witnessed Theresa May standing down as leader of the Conservative Party, although she remains Prime Minister, as we've had explained to us many times, ad nauseum, I suppose, this week, for a little while longer till a replacement's found. Um, you may, well, you will have your own political, uh, personal political views on this. I don't pretend, to, I'm not going to go there. Um, at its basis, base level, I suppose, it's because she's been unable to persuade enough people on any particular course of action, isn't it? Um, I'm just thinking, you know, where does righteousness feature in all this Brexit mess? We've also witnessed the visit of the President of the United States, which has also polarised opinion in uh, a whole variety of issues and subjects on different spectrums, hasn't it? And I'm just reflecting on, on this verse and Pentecost Sunday, whereas the Church of Jesus Christ, we need to come again and not simply say thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, but fill us afresh. That we still live in a world that knows too much about war and violence, about political division and inability to relate and work and collaborate with others without denying our own identity. It knows too much about global threats which threaten our very existence. So where do we turn as individuals in this, lest we get lost in the big picture and the big issues? I guess I'm with Simon, who turns to Jesus on one occasion and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. With that filling is something of an eternal dimension, isn't it? That we must always recognize that, that the filling of God in our lives actually does, in response to that prayer that we sang, well, that was more about lifting up Christ's name, wasn't it? But we are lifted above our purely temporal state into something of the eternal dimension. So on this Pentecost, I want to invite you to be refilled by the Holy Spirit. Maybe for some of you who much of what I've said already already kind of makes one kind of level of you know there's some conscious recognition in terms of the words make sense hopefully connected together but down here it doesn't make a lot of sense and it may be this is your first opportunity to say Lord God I've heard a lot maybe in this place but I've never really made my life wholly available to you and ask you to fill me 
That may be your opportunity today. I'm sure we'll have opportunity to those of you who want to ask someone to pray with you to that end to do so before you leave the building. One of the guys in um, our little home group when we were looking at this verse, I remember Richard saying, he said, well, looking at this particular verse as we've been thinking about it, I think one of the problems we've got is we can't be filled because we've filled ourselves up already with other stuff. And I guess that's been a a salient reminder to me that we just do need to reflect on what what it is we're aiming for. So I've got three very simple points here that just talk about uh, the words here in terms of uh, the focus needs to be on righteousness. I'll just say one or two things about that and hopefully encourage you just to think and reflect about the focus of your kind of life's energy, if you like. To what extent is it on the priorities and the purposes of God? You know, it's, it's, it's a big question. <laughs> I'm, I'm in your shoes, you know, in asking that question. It's a big question, and we will all come up short, and we will all be wanting. There will be hopefully some area of overlap. And our prayer that God would fill us is that we might be wholly focused, or as much as we are able to be, on the priorities and purposes of God. Something about focus here. There's there's something about the means. I'll just share one or two things about the, the means, which here is interestingly, it's hunger and thirst. And just an inkling, we won't get far with that, of what it means. And just recognize that there's a consequence, or as I've put it in a few minutes' time, the promise. It's a promise. It's a heart commitment on behalf of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that says if, if you hunger and thirst for this, you will be filled. And it's lovely that these are words spoken by Jesus because we can have trust in the promise maker who is Jesus. Individually. And those of us who concern ourselves with the big global issues uh, can put our trust and faith in him again. Not that we will change the world, but that we put our hands and trust in the hands of the one who can. So that's kind of where we'll go. Let me just read to you a passage of scripture that puts a little bit of this in, 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 in a bigger picture. Uh, it's John chapter 7. And again, it's Jesus who stands up and speaks uh, on the last and, and the greatest day of the festival, as it says here. Jesus stood up in a loud voice and says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. There's a, there's a dichotomy there, isn't there? Some wanted to seize him, <laughs> whereas Jesus' invitation is to come and be open-handed in the place of willingness and availability to receive. As he says, streams of living waters will flow from within you. And it's kind of just another way of putting how he states it here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So just for a minute or two, let's just think about and challenge ourselves to reflect on what is the focus of, of my life because Jesus anticipates if we're going to be filling, filled that then, then our focus needs to be on this word righteousness righteousness and um, yeah I've put a few things up there thank you Alex for there so there's a few things that kind of try and bring a few angles and facets on what this word might mean there's so much here there's so much here. And each of them say something about it. And of course the word righteousness is used in scripture. It's used in a variety of ways. It's used to talk of legal righteousness. It's used to talk of moral righteousness. It's used to talk of social righteousness. It talks about our right relationship with God. Uh, many Jews, uh, in, when Jesus was speaking, had been pursuing righteousness, but they'd failed to attain it because he says they pursued it in, uh, incorrectly. They sought to, and Paul picks up this theme in Romans in chapter 9 there, he says they sought to establish their own righteousness, but they did not submit to God's righteousness. A bit like Jesus' words and the reflection on that that episode on the festival, you know, it's almost like they tried to seize it, to grab it, to attain it, to take it for themselves. But they could not. They did not submit to God's righteousness. They sought to establish their own. There's angles there, isn't that this righteousness is a gift, that to be in a, a right relationship with our God is something that we can never attain or deserve, but it's a gift. There's that element there to it. There's something about moral righteousness that's to do with a character and a conduct that is pleasing to God. And I think this is where Caroline's word about being realigned is one that's so wholly relevant to what we're talking about this morning and this day, isn't it? Because this is a time when I just need to ask the Lord, Lord, where in my life am I not aligned with your priorities and your purposes? And of course, we'll get the clues where we're not aligned because of dissonance in our character or our conduct where it's not resonant with Jesus and his values and his lifestyle and his way. I was in a meeting last week. It was a, it was a group of those people that I do meet with from time to time, even though I don't possess and refuse to own a dog collar myself, but bishops. And it was one of those lovely meetings where we got to sort of share a bit more personally 
But we went round the room, and I won't tell you what anyone else said in response to what is it that gets you up in the morning. Um, But it got to me, and I just said, to be honest, it's being a follower of Jesus Christ. That is what I just try and keep front and center of everything that we're involved in. And I think this question about moral righteousness, about my character, my conduct, it's, it has to always be in relationship and it's kind of measuring stick. It's plumb line has to be against that of Jesus, doesn't it, for all of us. Social righteousness and that wholeness, that shalom of God, his desire and our longing for the whole of human community that we might be together as some thing pleasing to a righteous God. It's dimensions of that. I can't change those things. I can make a contribution. And I can challenge others to be changed, but within that, I can't be someone who challenges others unless what I'm calling them to become is not reflected in who I am. Same for all of us, isn't it? So there's a whole load of things there, but one way or another, they're summed up, and it's it's the challenge, isn't it? Am I focused on the righteousness of God? There is a sense of urgency to this. I read to you, this is, not, this is not my own experience, not a conversation that I had with someone, but this is from someone else talking to, you talking together. Could have been a pair of dads talking about their children. And this is what one of them recorded. He said, mine were five and seven then. Unlike Mackie, I'm just 60, so I'm, I don't know what I am, but I'm definitely older. Um, but... Um, you know, it's the kind of conversation I find I have with, with peers these days in terms of, you know, where are your children now when we meet up, as you will meet up with friends and colleagues, you know, you haven't seen for years and years, and you sort of, yeah, they're doing this, they've all left home, you know, where did those years go? This was a little piece called Where Did the Years Go? And he says, mine were five and seven then, just the ages when their daddy meant everything to me, to them. I wished I could have spent more time with my kids, but I was too busy working. After all, I wanted to give them all the things I never had when I was growing up. I love the idea of coming home and having them sit on my lap and tell me about their day. Unfortunately, most days I came home so late that I was only able to kiss them goodnight after they'd gone to sleep. It's amazing how fast kids grow. Before I knew it, they were nine and eleven. I miss seeing them in school plays. Everyone said they were terrific, but the plays always seemed to go on when I was traveling for business or tied up in a special conference. The kids never complained, but I could see the disappointment in their eyes. I kept promising that I would have more time next year, but the higher up the corporate ladder I climbed, the less time seemed to be available. Suddenly they were no longer 9 and 11, they were 14 and 16, teenagers. I didn't see my daughter the night she went out on a first date, or my son's final in football. Mum made excuses and I managed to telephone and talk to them before they left the house, but I could hear the disappointment in their voices. I explained as best I could. Don't ask me where the years have gone, those little kids are now 19 and 21, 
They're in college, I can't believe it. My job is less demanding and finally I have time for them. But they have their own interests and there doesn't seem to be any time for me. It seems like yesterday they were five and seven. I'd give anything to live those years over. You can bet your life I'd do it differently. But they're gone now and so is my chance, I fear, to be a real dad. That's talking about family relationships, and unfortunately it will echo in a number of us. But I meet a lot of Christians who have been Christians for quite a number of years. And one of the interesting things in our little home group with a group of half a dozen or so people is that most of them have been Christians for a number of years. And when we were talking about this particular verse, various ones of them said things like, I've never looked at it like that before. Or I've never this, although I've been a Christian for 20 years in some cases. And I just want to use that, where have the years gone in terms of family life, to bring it home to roost in terms of the application of this particular verse in terms of our spiritual life. And I wonder whether there's those amongst us who are sitting around this morning thinking, yeah, well, it all makes sense on a sort of a rational level. It all makes sense on an intellectual level. But do you know what? I've never really asked God to fill my life. I've never really focused fully on seeking his righteousness. Maybe today's the day. Just think a moment or two about the means, hunger and thirsting. I just... Thinking about these things, they're just the most simple things, the most everyday things that we could possibly think about. Am I paying attention to the signs of hunger and thirst? We have to pay attention to our children, don't we, from birth. That's what we know about when they're hungry. They let us know when they're thirsty. We have to pay attention to the signs of hunger and thirst in our children as babies. And I'm sure we pay attention to the signs of hunger and thirst in ourselves. Normal human functions. But in one sense, they're signs of death. They're signs of death in the sense that, and I know there's some medics here this morning, so I'll probably get my facts all wrong. You can put me right later. But basically, from the moment that we register an awareness of thirst... It's a signal to our brain, as far as I understand it, that if we do not pay attention, we've got between something like 72 and 80 hours left. If we don't pay attention to the signal, satisfy your thirst, we die. We can't go without water for very long. In terms of hunger... Those of you struggling with weight challenges, the good news is it's longer than 72 or 80 hours. (laughs) But time is still limited. I wonder how many times, like me, you've said, oh, I'd love her, whatever it is, to satisfy your thirst. Or I just fancy her to satisfy your hunger. And I was just thinking, sort of, over the last couple of days, What I usually say when I say I'm thirsty or express my hunger, invariably it's not those things that are the best for me. (coughs) 
And Jesus picks on two very normal human conditions and kind of aligns them with what we do need to focus our lives upon and what we do need to fill them. They're signs of death. They're also signs of need, that I need something. I need water. I need food from outside of myself if my need as a human being is to be met. And this is the same here. The promise doesn't really need to have much said about it, does it? But it says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Stories told of a previous generation of a man who went to hear an evangelist preach the gospel every night of those things that they used to call rallies. We don't do them, and we don't do like that these days. But every night you would hear someone, and Billy Graham was probably the finest exponent of this style of evangelism, but every night he would preach on an aspect of the gospel and end the evening asking people to come down to the front of the auditorium or Ashton Gate as Billy Graham has preached in the past here in Bristol and give their lives to Jesus. And this particular instant, a steward noticed a man was feeling very uncomfortable at the end of the evening. He was on his own and so he approached him. He said, if you want someone to go to the front with you, then I'm willing to come with you and stand with you so that you might give your life to Jesus. And the man was very offended. He saw no need to go forward. So he said, I can, pr- I can pray right here where I'm sitting. Thank you very much. I don't need to go forward. So he left him alone. The next night, exactly the same happened. And the steward said to him, he said, I'm sorry, sir. He said, you can't pray here. You must go forward if you want to become a Christian and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And the man was adamant. He said, no, no, I can do it right here where I stay. He said, I don't need to go forward. And basically this happened apparently every single night, however long this particular series of meetings went on. And the the guy sitting there, he was a sort of typical guy, corporate businessman, absolutely not interested in any public show of emotion, as he later put it. But once more, And on the final night, the steward said to him, he said, if you'd like someone to go with you, I will come as well. You can go to the front and give your heart to Jesus. And this time, on the very final night, the man said, he said, oh, yes, please, go with me. I need to give my life to Christ. I'm ready now to go forward and pray. And on that night, the steward turned around and said to him, he said, sir, you don't have to go forward to accept Jesus as Lord and (laughs) Saviour. You can pray right here where you're sitting if you want. Do you want me to do that with you? And kind of I've thought about that a little bit in relation to this verse. Because that's how it is with being filled by God's spirit. It's exactly the same. Maybe the moment at which you give your whole life to Jesus. It may be a subsequent moment. But you don't have to get in a different place. Other than that attitude of heart. And that willingness that says, Lord... Here I am, fill me. Caroline, would you like to just help us in a song or so? However, we're just going to use some words to respond to whatever God might be speaking into our hearts this morning. And I would just urge you that if you 
maybe for the first time or however many times you've done this, you would just welcome someone praying for you that God's spirit might fill your life anew, afresh or for the very first time, that you grasp that opportunity this morning before you go home.